Welcome back, everyone. Uh, today's guest is the one and only Jill Kushner Bishop. Jill is a fellow corporate escapee who is the founder and CEO of Multilingual Cor Connections. I almost got that wrong. A global language solutions company that supports translation, transcription, transcreation, and multimedia needs in over 75 languages for organizations across the globe. And why you guys may be thinking that doesn't sound like an expert-based business, it is, or it started as one, and so we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But after working as a corporate anthropologist, which is another question I have for you, because that may be the coolest corporate title I've ever heard, and then overseeing language and cultural programs for Chipotle, Jill wants multilingual connections. Uh, the business has pivoted over the years, but its focus on helping clients create connections across languages and cultures has always been at its core. Welcome to the podcast, Jill. Thank you, Brett. Happy to be here. How did I do with the intro? Did I get most of that right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So what is, before we get into it, because I definitely want your journey, I think is really interesting and it could be a blueprint for others, but what is a corporate anthropologist? Sure. So uh, my background is in linguistic anthropology, which looks at the intersection of language and culture. And when I would tell people I'm an anthropologist, they immediately went to Indiana Jones, which is right. um, not at all what I do or what most of us do. That's archaeology. Um, but a corporate anthropologist is somebody who rather than going out into the world um, to do their field work and to research, uh, they turn that lens on what people are doing. For example, how they get online, how they shop for shoes, how they experience something in their lives for the purpose of then uh, coming up with business outcomes. So rather than a more traditional market research um, process where you already have an idea, you might already have an idea in mind of what you're looking to do as an anthropologist in the corporate world, you're trying to understand experience and then create opportunities out of humans' real life experiences. Most companies can't even pay attention to customer service, let alone digging deeper <laughs> to hire right. you know, an anthropologist to look at it. So so what were you doing with Chipotle uh, as part of that corporate role? Yeah. So after, um, I always thought I'd, I'd stay in academia, but then I got this corporate anthropologist role. It gave me an opportunity to come back to Chicago. Um, and then um, after 9-11, I lost my job. My husband lost, my, lost his job. We were unemployed for 13 months. And then I saw an opportunity at Chipotle as a culture and language consultant. And it was the kind of thing that for somebody like me was just, you could not have designed a more appropriate job description for somebody who had taught English and taught Spanish and loved burritos and cross-cultural understanding. It was amazing. So um, I spent an entire day on my resume and cover letter, sent it in, jumped in the shower, and my husband knocked on the door and said, Chipotle called. Uh, so that same day, and it was um, a, a yet another really interesting way of applying all of my um, educational and professional background at that point of helping improve communication in the restaurants. So Chipotle at the time had a lot of Spanish speakers um, working the line and their English skills weren't strong. And so they realized that if they invested in developing the English skills of their employees, they'd be able to give better customer service. They'd understand customer orders and make them right the first time. The employees would have an opportunity to move up within the company. It would aid in retention and morale and engagement. And um, so they brought me on as well as a number of others in different regions to roll out programs um, focusing on job-specific English um, for the line employees, and then also Spanish training for the managers to help them create a better um, work environment. So I did that for a couple of years, and then I started to think about going off and doing my own thing and having more flexibility, more ownership, you know, just more and different. Uh, and so I did that back in 2005. 
So it's been over 17 years now. Okay. Congratulations on that one. But yeah, it's super interesting because you're both looking internally and externally um, at customer and employees, right? I think, again, kudos to Chipotle for being that forward thinking even way back back in the day. So let's get to, all right, I want to do my own thing, which I get, right? Because we talk all the time on the, the podcast or with folks I work with is, you know, I'll call them the three Fs. Some people like four Fs, right? It's the the freedom, the flexibility, and the financial independence. And it sounds like freedom was one of them that you were looking for. So maybe talk through what you were thinking and what were the steps you took as you were thinking about leaving and starting your own thing? Because that's where I'd say 80% of the folks get hung up is thinking about it and never doing. Sure. Well, I'll say that I I started the business thinking that I'd have more flexibility. I'd have um, more flexibility, more time and make more money. And that wasn't exactly the case for a long time. So I think that's really important that uh, your dreams of, of where that could get you um, might not match the reality for at least for a little while. But about a year before I left, um, I is when I started thinking um, about this, this business idea. And um, I was actually in a training and I just my mind went into a different direction and I started writing some notes in the um, in the margin of the training manual, wrote down a couple URLs and just like thinking about already what what the name of my company could be. And then I had um, I scheduled time with some of my um, my friends who were also women on women business owners to get an idea of what their what it has been for their life, what their thoughts were on this this kind of fledgling business idea, um, trying to learn from those around me who had already been doing this. I waited and waited and I thought I had better benefits than my husband did. I thought, you know, like you're waiting for that right time. And I, I liken it to um, to the jump rope on the playground as kids where two people would be spinning the jump rope and you're waiting. You're like, okay, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. And, and you're like, oh, okay, wait, I'm going to wait for the next time. And you just kind of are in that pattern. And then sometimes the rope hits you in the ass and then you are, you're in. And so that kind of uh, is how it all happened, uh, we'll say. It was it was a really exciting time where I I wasn't yet a mom. I had nothing but time and I had a stack of of business cards, a flip phone, the yellow pages, and a really basic website that my husband had created for me. And I spent the next, you know, 60 to 70 hours a week trying to build a business. But it took a long time to get traction and it very quickly changed in from what I envisioned to what it what it was even just a few months in. And certainly 17 years later, we look nothing like we did before. You know, what was the thought process? Were you think you were going to do this, what you were doing for Chipotle, but just more into other companies or what were, what was the, uh, the original thought? Yeah, that's, that's really similar to what I had thought. So at, at Chipotle, we were doing um, English and Spanish training. We were also doing translation, interpretation and helping improve communication in the workplace. And so I thought when I started, I should, focus on the industry that I knew, which was restaurants and by extension hotels. So I had my yellow pages and I called all the restaurant companies and hotel companies in Chicago. And I just asked to speak to HR, I was directed there. And my question would be, um, you know, calling, I, we help improve communication in the workplace. Do you have any, any communication challenges or tell me about your people and where they're from. And if you have any hard times um, communicating uh, in your department. And I expected people to hang up the phone, you know, instantly from my background as a telemarketer in high school. But 
I was shocked at how many people just want to talk about all of the communication challenges and that they had this amazing team of employees who they could promote tomorrow into management, but they couldn't communicate effectively enough to do so. And so the the job skills were there, but what was lacking was um, the ability to speak English and a professional uh, workplace setting. So what the, the model early on of the company was I would I would go in and create customized English or Spanish classes based on the um, the company. So if it was a hotel, we'd be talking about you know directing people to the ice machine or to the you know to the swimming pool, announcing housekeeping, asking for days off, um, asking for feedback, um, scheduling requests, things like that. In a workplace environment, you don't need to be able to talk about everything. You don't need to be able to chat about politics by the water cooler, you need to be able to do your job. And so the thought was, let's start with this very specific job related language and build from there. So I I did start doing that. But then I got a call from somebody I went to college with and he said, hey, can you translate a bankruptcy website into Spanish? And I thought about it for a second and I said, sure. And hung up the phone, found a translation agency to outsource it to. And then I thought, well, this could be a really interesting model. Um, you know, maybe this is something to supplement the classes. And so things just kind of grow, grew and changed from there. And we chatted about this before the show that originally I thought I'd do all the class, all the teaching. Um, I love teaching. I love teaching English and Spanish. And so I thought I'd do it. And then I realized if two hotels want a Tuesday, Thursday afternoon class, you know, there aren't that many time slots that, that work for training. So I needed to find freelancers that could do the training with the same, um, goals in mind and the same kind of skill and customer service. And so I very quickly started hiring freelancers to support the work we were doing. No, that's awesome. And what I really like about that is, and what I encourage folks all the time is, what is the problem you're solving? If you start with the problem, right, you're going to know pretty quickly, is it a need to solve problem or a nice to solve problem? The more need to solve it is, the better chance your business is going to get traction. Exactly. And what was what was nice about about what we were doing, and it, granted today is a different story. People don't answer the phone, people get inundated with emails, but the question that I was asking when I called people is not a question they were ever asked. And so it wasn't just another payroll company or just another one of these. It was something totally different. And so and, and it was a need that that was actually, you know, happening in the market. And so people were really excited to talk to me about it. And even for those that didn't move forward with classes, just being able to give some ideas and direction of things that they could do um, to help improve communication if they didn't have the budgets, for example, that completely new opportunity. And then um, the translations, even though the first request for translations was for a website that wasn't related to the work that we were doing, but by virtue of the fact that we were working with HR and doing training for their employees, then we started getting requests for translating employee handbooks and policies. And so it became a very logical extension of the work that we were doing, solving a similar problem for that same audience. You mentioned freelancers. So how long did it, was it before you started having to bring on other folks and you moved from your independent expert based business to a a company, right? Yeah, it was really quick. I would say within um, two or three months, I realized, and it was a moment that I remember thinking, you know, I can't keep selling this and then not potentially be able to deliver it. So I better get a couple people lined up, even if there isn't a project immediately, have those people ready um, so that if and when that project happened, um, I didn't have to start the scramble. And was it easy to find those folks? I mean, I know it's easy. It was, yeah, being tied into kind of a niche community of, of language training, language teaching, 
language lovers, travelers, uh, people who had taught ESL abroad. Um, it wasn't hard to find people. I'm curious from your perspective too, was, because we talk about culture, right? And maybe it's intentional or not intentional, but how do, how did you think about that with, with freelancers or was your first priority? Hey, I just got to get somebody that can do this job. Right. And then is it, over time, did it morph into a, a culture piece to making sure they were a good fit. I'm just kind of curious how you approach. Yeah, that. I know that's a great question because our our core values and our company culture are so essential in every everything we do and everyone we consider hiring. And I think at the time that was so early on that my thinking about the culture of my company wasn't even on my radar. However, the services that we do kind of self select for for people who connect with the kind of culture that we are looking at as a company are embracing of diversity and cross-cultural importance. And so if you, if your job is a freelance English as a second language teacher, you by, by default are somebody who has that kind of openness to people of different backgrounds and wanting to create those connections. And so, and I think this is similarly, even though we're now a 30 person company that has thousands of freelancers around the world, um, it does self-select for, for that, that profile of person and culture. It got to the point where we were doing corporate training and translations. And then I opened a language school for adults and a language school for kids. And it was just, it essentially could have been four separate businesses and, by then I had a young child. Uh, I moved us to Evanston out of Chicago and I realized that I couldn't do it all and I had to do less and try to do that better than keeping these four businesses partly alive. Um, that it wasn't fair to me and my family, but it also wasn't fair to my employees and to our customers if they weren't getting everything that they needed. And so um, we made the decision. It was a painful decision uh, because I was very tied up emotionally and personally and professionally in the language training and the immediacy and the, the in-person side of it. But from a business perspective, I realized that, that it didn't have the potential to grow in the same way that the translation side of things did. So we closed the training and decided to pivot and focus exclusively on translation services. And so now that's you know, that's translation, it's transcription, it's voiceover and subtitling. And now it's actually uh, bilingual research moderation because so much of the work we do is in the market research space. That's all kind of related and scalable as opposed to the work that we were doing before. Was there a, a kind of a formal process you went through? Because again, I'm all for making smaller bets and see where you know the future business is going to go or the greatest opportunity is. But that had to have been hard knowing that it was your core. Yeah. And I had built a, out of space. I was originally home-based and then we got a, an office space with classrooms at a cafe because I wanted... When kids were in class, I wanted the parents to be able to connect. And then after the adults were in class, I wanted them to be able to have a glass of wine or a cup of tea in the cafe. We moved to a bigger space and a bigger space. We had four classes and this really nice um, kind of community space there. We were doing cultural events and it was just really wonderful to see the space filled with people who all were coming together to learn language for so many different reasons. Some of them to connect with their heritage, some they married into a family and they wanted to be able to communicate with their mother-in-law uh, or they were doing a destination wedding or just for work or whatever it was. So it was, it was very tangible and very visible to me. And so to make the decision to close it, even though I knew that the translation agency was paying for the existence of most of these classes and, and services, I knew it was the right decision, but it was a painful one. It took a while for me to get comfortable with it, but I, I closed one division at a time. And I won't say I never looked back, but I looked forward. 
So I'm curious going back to when you started this, you know, was there a, was there a goal or plan when you set out to do it? Is it, Hey, I just want to replace my income and do this. Or did you have a, a goal or did you say, start running? We'll figure out once I get there. I'm curious how that's yeah, evolved. Well, I'll say it. I never thought I was building a company. I, I was consulting and freelancing and we found $500 in an account that we had forgotten about and figured, you know, why, why not try? It turns out that my husband had better benefits than I did and he had a steady job and I, we weren't pregnant. Yeah. You know, it was, a, it was a good opportunity to just give it a try. The stakes were low and figured within six to 12 months, if I didn't get any traction, I'd get a real job. And so when I started hiring these freelancers, I still didn't think of it as more than just like kind of my gig and then these people kind of helping, helping support this lifestyle business that I was building. Um, but then I did get pregnant and I realized that I needed somebody to help keep the, keep the company running, keep the clients happy that we had not grow the business, but kind of tread water while I was, you know, in the later stages of pregnancy and early, early motherhood. And then I figured, you know, from then I'd say, thanks so much. And I'd go back into it. But then I realized that they were helping grow the business and all of a sudden they turned into more full-time in-house employees. Granted, they were in my basement and everybody had their slippers <laughs> by the door and a code. And in the winter, they couldn't be on the phone and have the space heaters on and microwave their lunch or it all shut out, you know, um, those early founder days. <laughs> but it wasn't, it was, it wasn't an intentional decision to build a company. It was... I need to hire this person for this job. And then I need to hire this person to help during this period of time. And then, and then it did just kind of grow and change on its own without, without a lot of intention. It was just about providing the service and then backfilling what it needed. So yeah, fast forward all these years and we have, I think we have 30 employees in 11 countries, over a thousand freelancers around the world. And I look around sometimes and I'm like, Wow. When did this did happen? This? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't looking. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you go from a freelance expert freelancer to a global CEO, right, without necessarily planning. But I think that's that's kind of the beauty of it. And when I, I talk to folks that are in corporate, like I said, I tried a couple times throughout my career, started a couple different businesses, but ended going back into corporate. Well, four years ago, I made the decision I'm never going back. I'm going to figure it out this time for sure. And I think that's that's a good part of it, right? You got to do what you want to do, but look at opportunity when it comes and then, you know, take advantage of it and see where it goes. And, I, and I, it sounds like you do reassess quite a bit what's what's important, what's not important. And uh, just kind of curious from, because I know going from a solo and freelancers top delivery, yep, it, it's still your own gig. But then when you started to bring on the first full-time employees, was it hard for you to let go of what you were doing or how did, how did, how did that process go? It's, it's such a good question. And I do remember it being hard to let go of, of certain parts like the client relationship because I really enjoyed that and I enjoyed the, that connection. But I also realized that I have certain skills and I also don't have certain skills. And so I'm not process oriented. I'm not as organized as, as one might need to be to be delivering the services. And so I became more of the strategist and the higher level relationship person and allowed people who are really good at the delivery to do the delivery, the delivery, the organization, documentation, process, all of that. And um, it got to the point where um, I hired my husband as our COO about 
six or seven years ago so that we could scale because I just, I don't have those skills. I am more of the visionary and I needed somebody who could implement and keep everybody, um, you know, not, not scared of yet another one of Jill's ideas that you know, <laughs> right. I, I haven't come up with any, any way of implementing, but I just have the ideas and then say, figure it out. Um, so thankfully there's somebody there to, uh, to help with that role significantly and an amazing team that also is very good at that type of, um, you know, harnessing the ideas and figuring out is, are these, are these even viable? Um, and if so, how to get it done and how to do it consistently, repeatedly. Yeah. Interesting. And then was this six or seven years ago, was it when you really started to say systemize your business or put the process around it? Is that when you had? Yes. And in particular around technology and systems and connections. And so a lot of things that had been done manually when Mark joined, he was able to see the opportunities for connecting those systems um, and getting rid of some of that manual work. And so it's, it's been hugely helpful for us. And, uh, and also nice to not have all the weight and pressure on my shoulders alone. He was always a good listener, uh, as was my son, who was like five at the time. Yeah, I'd come home and <laughs> right. tell everybody about what was going on at work. Um, but it's one thing to listen, and it's another thing to be um, as involved in the business as I am and be able to help help make those decisions and help um, oversee areas. And then also allow me the flexibility, back to the point about flexibility, more flexibility that I wanted when I started the business. And, you know, I talked about how I had to work 60 or 70 hours a week. So I was working far more than I was when I was working for corporate and that, that decreased over time. But now I'm at the point where I don't want to be working 40 hours a week and I want to be able to step back. Um, I've built a great leadership team. I want to be able to renovate a few houses uh, for rental and do things that are different, different types of creativity, different ways of problem solving, different, more, a more finite type of project that um, also fulfills me and diversifies us and, I want to make sure I have time to spend with my parents or meet a friend for coffee. And so that kind of flexibility, it's taken me a long time to feel comfortable taking it. Um, I felt a lot of guilt around taking it. And now I'm at the point where I don't feel that anymore. Still that entire journey, you were controlling the flexibility, right? Where you couldn't incorporate. It was under their rules. These are the hours. This is the type of work you're going to do. And these are the clients you're going to work with is just based on it. So even though you took ownership, it took a little while to figure out how do I get that balance, right, that you wanted. But again, I think where you spend a lot of that time, it's it's for you, right? I think where, where some of these uh, folks that transition never figure out how to stop working the 70 hours and they're making less money that they were doing in the beginning. And that's where they get burned out and you can't, can't keep going. At least you had, you saw the path forward, right? In the light at the yeah. end of the tunnel. But if I keep working, I see where this is, is going to go, which is, yeah. which is fantastic. And the other thing I think um, I'd love for you to comment on, or you can kick me under the table if you want, to, but it is having <laughs> that, that partner or spouse or somebody, cause you, I think it's really hard to do this alone. Or if, you know, if, if you're married, they don't want you to do this. It's really hard <laughs> to, yeah, to do that it, when you don't have that support. Right. And I'll say it's hard to do it alone. And a lot of people say it would be even harder to do it with their spouse. When when we say that we work together, 95% of the time, the reaction is, oh my God, I can never work with my husband. I can never work with my wife. But we work together really well. And um, so we've, you know, we run this business. We have the rental houses. We raise a kid. 
we just lived through a pandemic. You know, we've we've spent a lot of time together, um, and and it's still working. And I think with um, with the business, we have such different skill sets and such different areas and responsibilities. Uh, and we've always had a separate office, um, and so he can have the messy office with nothing on the walls, and I'm going to have it a little <laughs> more personal. And I would, if it's messy, okay. it's my own, and I'm not going to resent it. Uh, but we we are so different at work that. That there are some days where, where we don't even really talk during the day where we might have a few minute meeting or, you know, quick question to clarify, but he's got his stuff. I've got mine. And so we're not, we're not struggling around some of that, the ambiguity. And um, it's just, it's just worked out really well from the beginning. And I feel very grateful for that. I think you're right. My initial reaction too, when you said that it was like, wow, I don't know if I'd be able to do that because yeah. one, we just wouldn't, I'd be, I honestly, I'd love your feedback on this is. I would worry that, you know, if we argued about something with the business in the sense, hey, we've got different ideas of how to do this, that it would spill over into the the personal side. But it sounds like you guys figured it out pretty early how to, I don't know, compartmentalize it or if it's just all part of your journey together is everything that we're doing. Yeah, I think it's more the part of the journey because it definitely yeah. doesn't compartmentalize. We were trying to fall asleep last night and I hadn't, I had been at a conference all day and we were chatting about a bunch of things work-wise and we don't usually talk at bedtime, you know, like pillows, head on pillows about work. That's a bit extreme for us. Um, but we, we do talk about it a lot and sometimes we have to say, okay, let's stop talking about work. You know, last comment about work. Um, but we don't argue about work. We have, I, I trust when he pushes back, if I, if I do have an idea and he'll tell me that's, not just that it's stupid, but that it's just not right. doable or these are the reasons why we can't do it. And I don't take that personally. I just take that as, you know, thank God somebody is looking out for, for, for the company and, and helping make sure that I'm not leading, you know, coming up with ideas or trying to implement things that are not, not feasible and not going to work for the right. company. And so we've just really enjoyed having this project together and um, we're building something for ourselves and, and for each other and with each other. Which I think is a great lesson, a reminder for folks that because people always talk about, well, work life balance and I only want to work in life. And I'm like, well, if you do this right, your life is your work or you're designing your work around your life. And like I said, if you're passionate, you're both passionate about what you're doing. That's that's the ideal setting. Right. Because it is it's really hard to separate. Even when you're in corporate, it's hard to separate the two easier. But. I don't think people are as happy when, when that's the case. So if you can find that journey to go on together and it may not work if you and your spouse aren't seeing the eye to this, I think you need to have that support network there because if this, your partner is not on board with this, it, like I said, it's, it's going to be really difficult. It's going to be lonely. Yeah. yeah. And it's already challenging and lonely enough running a business and not having coworkers. You have people that work with you, for you, you have colleagues, but you don't have you can't be the same with your coworkers as you would with your employees. So yeah, no, um, right. it can be a, a lonely road, but yeah, it's um, definitely having, having somebody that you can count on, whether it's a professional business advisor, a good friend, a partner um, for these ideas. And I think building peer groups um, in similar industries or even in different industries um, of people you can share successes and failures and ideas and um, get support from. It's it's a great idea, and I I probably adopted that probably three or actually when I went back left management consulting to to start this. There's three or four folks that I, in different industries, but we all get together independently just to 
to talk through things, right? So I've got yeah. folks that'll tell me, to your point, that's really dumb. And not just tell me that it's dumb, tell me why they think it's dumb. And, right. and right. I think it's that's so important. So, all right, I'm going to take you back one more time. And as you think about things, two, two questions. One, advice you have for folks that are thinking about, you know, leaving corporate, starting their own thing. And then two, is there anything that you would have done differently through that journey or lessons that you had learned that, you know, you could help folks? So kind of the same question, but two parts. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say for the second part, I would have taken a business class in college, maybe. Um, <laughs> it would have helped me. Business accounting um, would not have come, would, would certainly have come in handy um, in those early days when I didn't know how to read, uh, you know, an income statement and I had no yeah. idea what AR and AP were. Um, so having a little bit of business background, not a bad idea when thinking about starting your business. And I would say, um, you know, be open. The The most important thing I think is being open to pivoting and giving something a really good try. But if you see that it's not getting traction or you see an opportunity that seems like it, there might be just a better opportunity to, to not be afraid of letting the business go in different directions and not being so focused on this is the business that I started and this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. Because you don't, you often don't know until you're doing it that something's going to work or something's not working. And so even if it's painful to leave behind that idea, um, so much more can come from, from giving the business a little bit of wiggle room to evolve on its own outside of yeah. the yeah, interesting. So, all right. Last thing, any uh, so you had the advice from folks: don't be afraid to pivot. Um, anything about getting started? I, I love that jump rope analogy because you're right. You're like, I'm going this time. I'm yeah. going to go this time. I'm going to go this time. Yeah, Is there... I, I think um, going like don't wait for the perfect time to jump into the rope. That there's never going to be a perfect time, and you're always going to be able to have reasons why now is not right. Um, and certainly there are times that are absolutely wrong. Um, but if you wait for the perfect time to be delivered to you on a silver platter, you'll be waiting a long time. And so if you feel like you have an idea and you're excited about it, and it seems like it, it there's going to be some traction there, it's time. Give it, a, give it a shot. Give yourself six to 12 months. Make sure you have some, either somebody somebody there to support you or something in the bank to kind of get you through the lean times, um, set realistic expectations, but, um, now is a great time. Awesome. Jill. Well, any other pieces of advice, words of wisdom? Um, I think just the culture point that you mentioned and that, that is so important to us now, as you, if, if you do grow, think about what your corporate values are and who you want to hire based on those values, who you want to work with based on those values use your core, your core values as a lens for decision-making so that you can stay true to what you're looking to build, what you're looking to get out of it. Yeah, such a good point in writing. And it can be a one-person shop, right? But if you're working with partners, you want to have those shared values. You want your customers to have the shared values. I know people, the old days when I was it didn't matter. It was customers paid the bills, there's revenue. And then I think there was a lot of lip service to building the right culture, but I've, but I've seen it firsthand, the companies, right. You're, you now included in this, that, right. Whether you have one employee, two employees, you know, six freelancers, everybody's got to have that same shared value, same vision, or it's just, at some point it's going to get, I don't know, uncomfortable or I'm not sure what the world to describe it is, but it's more than possible, especially the businesses most of us are looking to build. You don't need a million people. So you can be super selective, you know, who you work Absolutely. with. Well, Jill, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's it's inspirational. And like I said, from a 
corporate anthropologist to a global CEO, right? Who would have thought? But I think we can tell why and how you, you got there now. But I mean, that, but that's what I love about this. That there's so many possibilities and people may be thinking, well, I don't want to be a global CEO. Well, you don't have to, right? You can, you can curb the business in, in different directions, but you seize the opportunity and, and grew it. And, you know, the, the last part I'll, again, that huge believer in is the diversification. You guys chose to vacation rental properties, which has got to be completely different from the business that you're, you're running today, Absolutely. right? Yes, very and, finite and uh, creative, and uh, yeah, I love having that uh, balance to the other, to the to the main the other, business. It's been a lot of fun. right. So it's a, a hobby you're getting paid for, which is even better. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Great. If people want to track you down and connect with you and learn more about you or the company, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you can go to multilingualconnections.com or find me on LinkedIn, Jill Kushner Bishop. Okay. Uh, those will be in the show notes as well. And so Jill, thank you again. Congrats on the success and continued success. And we'll, we'll check back in with you.